If I were arrested and charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? How about you? Does your life personally testify that you are a child of God? And then, are there credible witnesses who could come and testify and say, yes, you are a child of God? Tom was in the hospital near death. The family called the pastor to come to be by his side. As the pastor stood next to Tom, Tom's condition began to deteriorate quickly. Tom motioned to the pastor that he wanted to write something. So quickly the pastor took out a piece of paper and handed him a pen. And Tom, with his last bit of energy, scribbled something on the paper and handed it to the pastor. And then he expired. Several days later, the pastor is doing Tom's funeral. And at the end of the funeral, the pastor noticed that he was wearing the same jacket that he had wore to be by Tom's side before death. And he told those in attendance that Tom was such a wonderful man and he had written a note just before dying. And I'm sure knowing Tom, he had something wonderful to say. So let me go ahead and read to you the note. So he takes it out of his pocket and he opened a note and it read, get off my oxygen tube. (laughs) Tom's pastor desired to testify to his parishioner's Christian life that he truly was one of the elect of God, that he was definitely a saved man. But that witness was cut off. Let me ask you this. How many credible witnesses do you have concerning your election? In other words... How many people would be quick to stand up and to testify that you are genuinely a child of God? We're now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Second message begins in verse 5. Here we go. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance As you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place." Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Join me in prayer. 
Father, we thank You for these model believers. Oh, I pray how we might imitate their lives. I pray that we would learn much today and put into practice all that we learn. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage begins with the translation from the New King James Bible, 4. But you have from the American Standard Version the words, how that. How that. Uh, D. Edmund Hebert writes, The rendering how that might suggest that Paul is now analyzing their election to show wherein it consisted. Now, I think our translation is a good one here in the New King James Version. The word for, it's causal. Leon Morris writes, Paul is showing how he knows the Thessalonians to be elect, not showing in what the election consisted. So we have a cause here. Since these individuals are elect, Paul is now further describing how he knows that they are elect. So Paul's first reason confirming the Thessalonian election is his Timothy and Silas's testimony. Those three men could testify boldly about the faith of the Thessalonian saints. And then second of all, Paul's second reason confirming the Thessalonians' election is their testimony. Those saints had quite a testimony, and we're going to study these two things. But with that, point number one, confirm your election through your leader's testimony. Let me say this again. Confirm your election. See that God has called you to himself through your leader's testimony. Question. Would your spiritual leaders confirm your salvation or election? The Thessalonian spiritual fathers would do so. Verse 5. Paul writes, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. Yes, in words, but not merely words. Paul, Silas, and Timothy had personalized, because notice the word here, our, it's our gospel. They had personalized Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. The word gospel, which is prevalent in First Thessalonians, it means good announcement. We're going to see that term often as we go to chapter 2, verse 2, verse 4, verse 8, verse 9. Lord willing, we'll study this in the future. But the gospel came, number one, in power. It's singular here to term power. It means achieving power. It speaks of ability. The singular doesn't exclude the concept of miracles. Paul's an apostle. In 2 Corinthians 12, 12, one of the ways people knew the apostles were the real deal was by their miracles they performed. But yet there was a power in the gospel. Romans 1, 16, the same term is used. For I 
am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. There is our term. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So the gospel came, notice this, in power, and then number two, in the Holy Spirit. There is a divine partnership. Jesus is the eternal word. But yet Jesus knew the importance of the worldwide ministry of the Holy Spirit. In John 16 and verse 8, Jesus says, and when he, referring to the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. When you proclaim the gospel of Christ, that message is powerful. The word is living. And yet there is a witness that comes the Holy Spirit. He brings conviction to the unsaved mind. So we have the living word, and then we have the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, Paul cites, and in much assurance. It means a perfect certitude. The concept of a full assurance or a complete understanding. Paul, Silas, and Timothy sensed in those people that they were truly the elect of God, that they were saved. And he continues here, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. As we get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is going to describe how he and Silas and then also Timothy had a heart for these believers. That they themselves modeled a godliness, a genuine pastoral concern for these individuals. So, number one, confirm your election through your leader's testimony. It's so important that others, particularly those that shepherd you, can testify and boast about you to others? Are you an individual that your pastor or pastoral staff would be proud of, that they could tell everyone they come in contact with, such and such is a child of God. Clearly he or she is elect. They are saved. Your lives should reflect that you are saved and your leaders should be able to boast in you. So confirm your election through your leader's testimony. That's number one. And then number two, confirm your election through your testimony. See your own personal testimony. That's verses six through ten. Confirm your election through your testimony. Now as I read you the beginning of verse six, can you note the order of words? And you, Thessalonians, became followers of us, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and of the Lord. Doesn't that strike you? See, so often we go, we need people to see Christ. And we do. But may I say they see you first. And then hopefully they see Christ in you. The word order here, you became followers of us, 
Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and of the Lord. See, Paul, Silas, and Timothy had such a testimony that it was evident that the Lord was in them. Followers. The Greek term here, mimetai. Mimetai for mimetes. An imitator, a follower. Not in a negative sense. First use of the term, and it's only used seven times here, is 1 Corinthians 4, 16. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Could you say that to people? (laughs) Could you say that to a brother or sister in Christ? Imitate me? Paul could. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, he writes, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word. The verb here, welcome, is from dekomai. Received what was offered to them. We find the same term in Luke chapter 10 as Jesus dispatches the 70. In verse 8 of Luke 10, whatever city you enter and they receive you. See, they take you to themselves. Let your blessing remain there. In Acts 17, 11, it speaks about the Bereans who welcomed the word. They took it to themselves. These individuals heard the gospel and took it to themselves. But it's so amazing that there's no prosperity that goes with this, as so many of the phony preachers of this day. It was in much affliction, but notice as well, with joy of the Holy Spirit. In much affliction. The noun means to crush, press, Compress, squeeze. It's a figurative use here because it's not as if the literal walls are coming in on these saints, but they're being pressed by evil influences, by distress. See, but the paradox, how can you have affliction and then also joy? Listen to Romans 12, 12. Rejoicing, see, that's the deep, abiding joy of the Lord, rejoicing in hope, and then patient when? In tribulation. So you can be afflicted, but yet have the joy of the Lord. That's John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. For I, see, good cheer For I have overcome the world. I find it intriguing that the Thessalonian saints mimic their spiritual parents. Look over in chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians, verse 3. Paul says that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. See what Paul, Silas, and Timothy had gone through. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. We are appointed to suffering. Verse 7. Therefore, brethren, this is still in chapter 3, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you 
by your faith. The Thessalonians are suffering, but their spiritual parents had suffered before and continue to suffer. It's part and parcel of the Christian life. So there is affliction, but then with joy. With joy, the second fruit of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. Listen to Romans 15 and verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 15 and verse 13. I love that. So they had affliction and joy. Paul says as a result, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Examples. The word example means initially to strike repeatedly with blows. See, so that there is an impression that is made figuratively as is used here. It means to be a pattern or something that should be imitated and repeated. Ben Franklin was a very smart man. And he decided to interest the people of Philadelphia in street lighting. So he hung a beautiful lantern on the end of a bracket, attached it to the front of his house. He made sure that the glass was brightly polished and carefully lit the wick every evening at the approach of dusk. Anyone walking down that street would notice the lighting. And soon, many of those in that same town imitated him. They saw the light, were drawn to the light, and it became light. You became examples. May I point out to you there are two kinds of examples. Which one are you? A bad example found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6. Now these things became our examples, Old Testament examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So Paul points out to the Corinthians about the Israelite activity that was not wholesome. They lusted after evil things. Don't be a bad example. Anyone can lust after evil things. Things Be a good example. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. The Thessalonians had such impact because they had imitated their spiritual fathers that their example reached Macedonia, the northern part of Greece, and Achaia, the southern part of Greece, in other words, the whole region was impacted by this one persecuted church that exhibited the joy of the Lord. In verse 8, for from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Sound forth is a perfect tense verb. 
It sounded forth in the past with the results continuing. A.T. Robertson writes about the verb. To sound out of a trumpet, a thunder, to reverberate like our echo. So from you as a sounding board or radio transmitting station. In the same way, the transmitting station of a radio goes out. So these people had an example that just went out as well. See, and it wasn't only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. The strategic location of this church, with both a major road passing by and waterway, took their witness throughout the world. Your faith toward God has gone out, and here's the result, so that we do not need to say anything. Warren Wiersbe writes, they were both receivers and transmitters. Wow. They took in what they had learned, and then they sent it out by virtue of their faith. Verse 9 For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. Reports flourished. Not only about how Paul, Silas, and Timothy had lived, but also the Thessalonian believers. So amazing. And how you, Thessalonians, turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, you turned. The idea of repentance. Formerly, they worshipped idols. They turned their back on the idols. And that's what genuine faith in someone's life does. It brings about repentance. But then they began to serve the Lord. How does Jesus say it? You know, Matthew 6 and verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Is it self? Do you talk about life often in the first person, I, I, I? Or do you use the first person plural, we? speaking about you and the Lord in a partnership and then with the others that God has brought into your life. I can generally tell when someone is off the Christian track because they start arrogantly speaking in first person singular, I, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to, and it's like without the Lord, you're not going to do anything. Or if he permits you to do it, there will be absolutely no fruitfulness. He's just going to blow it all away. You turned to God to serve, and I love this, the living and the true God. What are people laboring for? Another dollar, why? To gain a great reputation in this world system, why? Why? On and on and on, such an expenditure of energy concerning things 
that will not last. These individuals came to Christ, turned their back on idols and said, we are going to serve the living and the true God. And it is exactly what they did. They had a focus, everybody. And as you work through 1 Thessalonians, in each chapter, you find a reference to the return of Jesus Christ. They lived in light of the imminent return of Christ. Let me put it this way. If Jesus were to come back tomorrow and you knew it, how would you live today? Or if he were to come back in one week or two or a month or a year even, how would you live differently? There should be the expectation because the scripture teaches that we shall be changed in a moment in the blink of an eye that quickly. John believed in 1 John 2 verse 28 that he could be alive at the rapture. So does Paul. We'll see that in chapter 4 of this book. Jesus could come back at any time. So how many of your pursuits will have any fruit for eternity? What about your unsaved family? What about your unsaved friends? And co-workers. Are you broken about their need for Christ? Do we care? Do we care about the needs of our missionaries? And making sure that they stay strong. That they have the funding that is necessary in order to carry out the work of the Lord. Because we are to make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We are called to not only propagate the gospel locally, but globally. Verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians says, And to wait for his Son from heaven. To wait. To wait. It's not only from meno, the verb to remain, but it has the preposition affixed to it as an intensifier. It's to strongly wait. It's a present infinitive. It shows continuous action. We are to continually and actively wait for his son. Look at the Greek says, the son of him. And where is he at? (laughs) He's in heaven. The biblical New Testament term for heaven is somewhat broad. It can be used of the air. It can be used of the sky way up above and even heaven proper. How did Jesus leave? Acts chapter 1, he went up in a cloud to the right hand of God, sat down, his work was done. He's coming back for us. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to meet him in the clouds at any time. They were waiting, and this was 2,000 years ago, for the return of Jesus Christ from heaven. And the description here, whom he raised from the dead. A dead Savior cannot return, but a living one can. 
This is why we focus upon a relationship with God. We're not about religion, a set of rules and regulations that men or women make tell you to keep them so you can get to heaven one day. We're not about that. Religion has rules and regulations. Christianity has a relationship. We connect with God through the person of Christ. The Father sent the Son to come to earth who lived a perfect life, who fulfilled the law. That's Matthew 5, 17. He did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And he did perfectly. Jesus lived the perfect life and died the perfect death. The one who knew no sin, see, because he became our substitute, became sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. He is not a Lamb of God, but the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was lifted up on the cross, took our sin upon himself, died for you and me, and then conquered death. With our rules and regulations, I'm going to tell you all something. You're never going to get to heaven with your own standards. And even if you keep them, which you will not do perfectly, even the Old Testament, which reflects the nature of God, cannot be kept by any individual in its entirety. In Deuteronomy 27, the end of the chapter 26, in the chapter 28, verse 1, it shows that if we don't keep the law in its entirety and all the commandments, we're in big trouble. James puts it this way, chapter 2 and verse 10, that if you keep the law in all points and yet break it in just one aspect, in one point, you're guilty of all. In other words, the standard is perfection if it's going to be works-based, if you're going to keep the law. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, be ye perfect. Even as your Father in heaven is perfect, there is only one who has ever been perfect. And he took the sin of the world upon himself. He beat death and came back to life. And when we believe in him, we're given a gift of eternal life. That's the one that was raised from the dead. Even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The word delivers here means to draw, drag along the ground, to draw or snatch from danger. The middle voice here means that we have been delivered for the cause of Christ. The first time this verb is used is in Matthew 6, 13. You know it in the Lord's Prayer. But deliver us from the evil one. See, the word can be used of a spiritual deliverance. But it's also used of a physical deliverance. In Matthew 27 and verse 43 is Jesus hung on a cross. People walk by and mocked him. In verse 43, one makes a statement, he trusted in God. 
Let him, God, what? Deliver him. Physically take him, remove him from the cross. The word is used of a physical deliverance in 2 Peter 2.7 of Lot. Before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he sent his angel because Abraham had been praying and rescues Lot, who delivered righteous Lot. Physical deliverance. And what is it that we are delivered from? It says very clearly, from the wrath to come. Let me talk to you about two kinds of wrath that we are delivered from. The first is the wrath of the tribulation. The tribulation is that seven-year period of time in Revelation chapter 6 through 19 where God will pour forth his wrath on the earth. It occurs after the rapture as this passage demonstrates. When the tribulation begins, notice what it is called from Revelation chapter 6 and verse 17. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand see right here is the promise that you and I will not go through the tribulation why it's a period of wrath we're going to be physically delivered from that period of time revelation chapter 3 and verse 10 to the church of Philadelphia there's the promise that he's going to keep us from the hour of trial that comes upon the whole world that's the tribulation What a great promise is given to us here, but it gets even better. Because when you believe on Christ and Him alone for salvation, He delivers us physically and spiritually from hell. Consider with me Romans 5, 9. Paul writes, Having now been justified, declared righteous by His blood. See, we've applied by faith Christ's sacrifice to our lives. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Yes, eternal damnation, hell, to all those who do not receive the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. All those who try to go through the system of works through their own designed standards will come up short because for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin Romans 6 23 is death not just physical death eternal separation from God but the gift got the word gift is something freely offered the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord Jesus's sacrifice for us when appropriated to one's life by faith, delivers us from the wrath of the tribulation. This appeared a time you wouldn't want to be here on earth for, but also more importantly, it delivers us from eternal wrath. So what have we seen? Number one, confirm your election through your leader's testimony. Listen to what the writer of, Hebrews pens, this is 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you. 
your elders, your pastors, and be submissive. Arrange yourself under their authority, for they watch out for your souls. I appreciate earthly doctors, those who sincerely care about their patients. They watch out for their bodies, but here's the reality. One day the body's going to die, and no physician can ultimately stop it. Pastors, watch out for your soul, that part of you that's eternal. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Do you give grief to your pastoral staff? Does your inconsistency drive them, if you will, spiritually mad? God's not pleased when you live an up and down life. James 1.8 says, A person who's not walking by faith is unstable in all his ways. You need to walk by faith and be consistent. And when you do, those leaders in your life can testify about you and boast about you to others. And I want to tell you something. I can tell you firsthand Your pastors love to boast about you whenever they have opportunity to do so. Give them opportunity to do so. So confirm your election through your leader's testimony. Let them be able to shepherd you. Submit to them and let them then give witness to what God has done in your life. Number two, Confirm your election through your testimony. Determine to lead a life worth imitation. Once again, look at chapter 1, verse 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. Paul, Silas, and Timothy could be imitated. Having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. What was the result? Verse 7. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. That's what biblical leaders desire in their spiritual children. John says it so well. Third John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk, live in truth. Become that dynamic Christian who has faith, hope, and love in your life. That was 1 Thessalonians 1.3. Remember that? Work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. Be that parishioner who displays a Christ-likeness in his or her life. Because you're imitating your spiritual leaders who are imitating Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. The Word is alive. Thank you so much for the salvation of souls. For all those who have believed in the finished work of Christ and now are your children. Oh, Lord, how I pray for the saints, that they would have such a godly life that the pastors could testify of it.
then also that their godly lives would be such a witness to the lost. Help us to take these words serious and make any change necessary for your glory, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.